0: Welcome in, everybody, to episode 191 of the podcast of the Sweeping America, the Aratora Sports Podcast. All right, people, we got a great show, and this is the really cool time of year. I've said this a few times now, the really cool time of year where the sports are kind of overlapping, where we're going to talk some football, we're going to talk some basketball. Obviously, as we get into basketball season, there will be more basketball, but I think on the front end here, we're going to talk football. On the back end, we'll we'll talk a little basketball. I would love to tell you what time, if you're only interested in the basketball talk, what time you should kind of check in or tune in, but I really can't tell you because uh, I'm just going to start talking football here in a minute. But here's a quick rundown of today's show. A lot of interesting things. And I love this time of year because the football season, we're really at the point now where, okay, we're really starting to figure some stuff out. And so from the football segment of this show, this is what we're going to talk about. By the way, no guests today, no Nick Coffee, no nothing. I'll tell you this. There's still like three really big guests that we are going to eventually get to talk all sorts of basketball stuff coming into the season. A couple pretty prominent coaches – a couple pretty prominent media members, so please stay patient. I know I've promised big guests, and outside Gary Parish, who was awesome last week, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. I really haven't delivered those guests, but I will in the coming weeks. I promise you, you have my word. I'm a man of my word. I'm a man of the people. I'm here to please you, and we're going to have a great show, uh, not only today, but for the rest of the month into November, which, of course, is the start of college basketball season. As for today's show, open with college football, where, as I said, we're really starting to come down here. We're, we're through eight weeks. Most teams have played seven games. I think a handful of even played eight. And we're starting to get a feel for, okay, what is this thing starting to look like? So Wisconsin loses this weekend. Georgia barely survives. LSU looks awesome. And so we're, we're, we're starting to get a feel for what this the rest of the season will play out like. But obviously the big story is Tua Tonka Viola, quarterback at Alabama. He was coming into yesterday, coming into Saturday, my Heisman favorite. He's hurt. He's hurt. He has a high ankle sprain for people who haven't seen. He will miss this weekend's game against Arkansas. Alabama then has a bye. And so really... The entire college football season changed on Saturday night as they get set uh, Alabama to two pretty manageable weeks, but then they play LSU, and that's the game that obviously will define the SEC West, it will define the SEC, and it could really alter the playoff picture. So we're going to talk to I think I have a couple interesting angles that you haven't really heard. I see a lot of parallels with Tua and Patrick Mahomes, the things that are going on in the NFL. I see a lot of parallels, honestly, but with Tua and Zion Williamson last year when he went out with injury. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about Zion because I still haven't figured out why everybody who wanted Zion to shut things down aren't screaming from the mountaintops about Tua as well. So that's kind of an interesting angle. We will briefly touch on Michigan-Penn State. Look, I've been very critical of Michigan. And as you guys know, and I say this all the time, I don't want this to turn into a Michigan podcast. There's, There's people that cover Michigan who can do a better job breaking down everything, but I'll say this, is that I've been very critical of Jim Harbaugh. I've been critical of Michigan even when they win, even when they barely beat Army, even when they barely beat Iowa. I've been very critical when they win, so I think it's only fair that even though they lost on Saturday night to Penn State, I think I need to give them a little bit of credit because I thought they played well, I thought they played tough, And now the question becomes, can they use that to build momentum in the second half of the year as they still have some really big games? They play Notre Dame this coming weekend. And of course, down the road, they will play Ohio State. So I'll talk Michigan. I will talk a little bit of that Georgia-Kentucky game. Uh, I've been critical of Georgia. I'm not really here to kind of bash Georgia. You guys know where I stand on them. But I will say this. Lynn Bowden, what a warrior that guy is. He is for people who didn't see the game or don't follow Kentucky football. Kentucky's down their two leading uh, quarterbacks coming into the season. So their starting quarterback, Terry Wilson, gets hurt. Their backup, Sawyer Smith, gets hurt. And Lynn Bowden, this wide receiver who played quarterback in high school, who has been asked to go in. And I just thought it was such an impressive performance by him on Saturday. Even though Kentucky doesn't win, the guy is an absolute stud. And we'll wrap up. What I think I'm going to start to do now is now that we really kind of have a clearer picture of what the landscape of college football looks like, I'm going to give you my top four after X week. So after week eight, and I will also talk about start talking about what kind of playoff scenarios can kind of uh, throw throw things throw a wrench into things, right? Like like you know, obviously um, we all know that that the winner of Alabama LSU's in really good shape. We know that Ohio State's in good shape. We know that. Oklahoma is in good shape. Right now, Clemson is in good shape if they can take care of business. But I'll start to tell you a little bit about some of the scenarios that could wreak havoc on the college football playoff. And I think there's one more than any other that would absolutely just turn the college football playoff upside down, which I will get to in a minute. On the back end, I want to talk a little hoops. And I'll tell you this, it's an interesting time of year because the season hasn't started yet. But We're getting real information now. First of all, recruiting is picking up. I spent a lot of time on the last episode talking about Devin Askew, a five-star point guard who has committed now to the University of Kentucky. His commitment was the day I released the last episode. Going to talk a little bit about him. Going to talk a little bit about some of the buzz that I'm hearing about what it could mean for Kentucky, and also just Kentucky with their recruiting class in general. I thought John Calipari uh, in his preseason kind of commentary really laid out what his vision for recruiting was going to be going forward, and I think he's lived up to it, and it's been pretty cool to see in real time. Uh, If you follow Kentucky, you know he had this kind of big speech where he said, you know, we're not going to be ahead on the table. We want to be in with kids, and if we feel like we're not in the mix, then we're not going to be afraid to kind of pull out of recruitments and things of that nature. And then, um, you know, and and he's really lifted. So I thought that was kind of cool. Isaiah Todd, a kid who Kentucky had been committing or had been recruiting, committed to Michigan. Talk a little bit about him. uh, Jamal, uh, Jawan Howard's first big recruit of the 2019 uh, calendar. And, of course, Jawan Howard's first big recruit, period. Well, Rapp Calipari going after Coach K., Uh, Coach K, of course, had some comments about the NBA draft. Calipari was not happy. He let him know. Again, comments that came out, unfortunately, after I recorded my last podcast. And finally, I'll I'll share a little nugget that kind of got some traction on Twitter the other day, is that over the weekend, Michigan State actually played what, look, they call them a secret scrimmage. It's not really secret. They're kind of just closed-door scrimmages. Uh, These college basketball teams are allowed to play them in the preseason and Michigan State played Gonzaga over the weekend and got smoked. And so I'm going to tell you what I've heard, what it means for um, potentially the opening of the season, where of course Michigan or Michigan State and Kentucky will play. Does this mean that maybe Kentucky's in a little bit better shape than we thought? Michigan lose Michigan State loses this weekend, so we'll get into all of that a lot. This is the kind of show. By the way, we're already seven minutes in. I'm still just setting everything up, but uh, this is the kind of show. Some shows. Like last week, Georgia was the meaty topic, right? And I spent 15 minutes just bashing Georgia, just crushing Georgia. Today, I think the show's gonna move a little quicker. I think we're gonna spend a little bit less time on each individual topic. And instead, what we're gonna do is kind of bounce around, like I said, I think there's probably five or six topics, two or three in football, two or three in basketball. We'll wrap the show, we'll send you on your way. You can uh, have a great Monday or Tuesday or whenever you are listening to this show, before we get started, I want to remind everybody: please subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. So many of you are subscribing; I've been so impressed. It's been amazing to me, and I say this all the time, but I do appreciate it. As we've gone from season to season, the show kind of changes with each and every season, right? Like winter, we're talking basketball. Spring, we're kind of talking the the weird basketball recruiting window where all of a sudden kids are committing late, and there's reclassifications, and we're into the summer. And then in football, you know, when we get the football season, we're talking football. And you guys have stuck with the show, so I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. But please, if you're not subscribed, make sure to subscribe. You can subscribe via iTunes or Apple Podcasts. You can do it via the Podcast Addict app if you have an Android. The Podcast Addict app is the way to go. That's where I listen to my show because one, I have an Android. I'm old school like that. I'm like Fred Flintstone. I got the flip phone. I use my feet to pedal my car. Yeah, I do that. But whatever. I got an Android. I use the Podcast Addict app to listen to this show. Also, Spotify, Pod Paradise, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, this show is available. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys listening, so make sure you subscribe. Also, rate and review. Give us a quick five stars. And if you want to leave a comment, leave a comment. Like, for example, we got a new comment. So there was, of course, a few weeks ago, we had Sarah who listens to us in... Atlanta traffic Sarah we appreciate your support uh Jay Strunk called us a lifesaver said this is the most delicious podcast that's going so that was kind of different uh, to say the least and now we got Trip the Cats fan he says my dad was the one who showed me this podcast I'm a big Kentucky fan and I love it I listen whenever I find time I really enjoy this podcast keep it up AT so first of all shout out to Trip Thank you. Thank you to Trip's dad. I should add, listen, the AT podcast, it's like an heirloom. It gets passed down from one generation to the other to the other. Someday Trip will be sharing this podcast with his son down the road. It's great. You know, I can just picture Trip and his dad listening to the show around the Christmas tree, opening Christmas presents. Uh, and again, when Trip gets older, he's going to pass it down to his son. But Trip. And your dad, thank you both for listening. Thank you both for sharing and talking about this show. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. In all seriousness, thank you, Trip, for leaving the rating and review. Everybody else is obviously encouraged to do, do so. And finally, of course, if you want to uh, get in on the action via Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast, I do also should mention, I, I, I mean, I have a Facebook page, Aaron Torres Writer. I don't know, I don't use it a ton, but you should still subscribe there if you want updates on the show. And then, of course, if you have questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at com. All right. So it only took... 11 minutes to get into the actual meat of the show. Shout out to AT. Longest introduction ever. They said it couldn't be done, but I spent 11 minutes just talking to myself about nothing. So shout out to me. I'm feeling good. Whatever. It's Sunday. I took a long nap today. I fell asleep. I feel great. Let's talk a little college football. All right. So the big story, obviously, it goes without saying, it's no secret. It is Tua Tonka-Viola. It is Alabama. And so for people who were out at a bar on Saturday or were doing whatever you do on Saturday night, if you didn't see it, Alabama was playing Tennessee uh, the third, October, third uh, Saturday of every October. It's a big rivalry. And Alabama goes on to win. But the story was Alabama's up 21 to 10 in the third quarter, and Tua goes down with an injury. And not only did he go down with an injury, he went down on the field, They brought him to the tent, and all of a sudden, he's in an ambulance headed to the hospital. And so it was this big freakout fest. I was actually doing my Fox Sports radio show when it happened, and it was incredible to kind of see because you didn't know what was happening. You didn't know what was going on. Now, thankfully, we got some reports out late Saturday night, early Sunday, that it is a high ankle sprain. I mean, that's not a great thing. But from an injury perspective, it could be a lot worse. Tua did undergo a minor procedure, according to Nick Saban, and he will be able to play again, hopefully, in two or three weeks. Now, if you remember back to last year... This was the same injury that Tua suffered in the SEC championship game, which allowed Jalen Hurts to come in, which allowed Jalen Hurts to help lead Alabama to uh, an SEC championship. And obviously, it, by the way, one thing or another, it did actually lead to my take that Georgia is the biggest fraud in all of sports, that they're the Enron of college football, just a complete and total fraud. But that was the game, and that was the injury. Now, uh, it, it, it's the it's a different angle. it's the it's the other ankle, not angle, ankle. So I guess that's kind of good because it's not a recurring injury. On the flip side, I think it might be kind of bad because, listen, I think we now have kind of a track record, and this was something we talked about on Fox Sports Radio on Saturday night. Like Tua is a little bit injury prone. And so, of course he didn't play his freshman year. Because Jalen Hurts was a starter. Last year he emerges as the starter, and really it was around this time. Started to get all these little nagging injuries. He had a little sprained knee, wearing a knee brace. Then he had um, you know, he had other lower body, I think it was a quad injury against Mississippi State, and then of course the ankle injury against Georgia. So I think one, I do think it's interesting, and it's something I'm sure Nick Coffey and I will talk about as we get closer to the NFL draft, is that Like, we've all just penciled Tua in as the number one overall pick, and I do wonder if we now have, like, a little bit of a track record of, like, Tua has some trouble staying healthy here, and I think he does, and I think it'll be interesting to see if that becomes a narrative going forward, but I bring up last year's injury because Tua got hurt in the SEC championship game, but he was available for the college football playoff. So if you're an Alabama fan that's listening, like that is the positive side. And if you're an Alabama fan listening, I'm sure you've been updating your phone and checking message boards to get details. You're not necessarily waiting on this show for updates, but I do think it's kind of interesting to note that based on the timetable from last year, he had about a month to recover before the Oklahoma game in the playoff, and he was fine once he got to the playoff. And in theory, you'd think that he should be okay for that LSU game in about three weeks from now. So for people who don't know Alabama's schedule... Um, first of all, Alabama and LSU are currently number one and number two in the polls, at least the AP polls. So we're potentially looking at a number one, number two matchup in three weeks when they play. Alabama plays Arkansas this week at home. Arkansas is the worst team in the SEC. And Alabama is actually opened as a 35 point favorite, even though Tua will not play. And then Alabama gets a bye before that LSU game, and that LSU game is three weekends from now. So it, I believe it's the second weekend of October. I could be mistaken on that, uh, but it is three full weekends from now, so three weeks from this previous Saturday that happened. So for it is actually the 9th of uh, November, so it's technically the second Saturday of November. But I think to me... The big story here is one, first of all, is Tua gonna play against LSU, and I think he will. Two, I think the bigger question, the more interesting question, at least in my opinion, is if even if he's not a hundred percent, how much trouble is Bama in? Because this to me, I think is the bigger story. Like, like there's little stories like how could it affect his draft stock? How could this happen? How could that happen? But I think the big story is, and I think people who watch college football every Saturday, and I'm obviously one of them. I do this show twice a week. I obviously host my radio show. I'm watching college football every Saturday. I don't think people who aren't college football diehards realize how important Tua is to the Alabama team. And I think we all just kind of think, oh, he's a cog in Nick Saban's machine, and you put in the next guy, and you're this, and you're that, and you're fine. That's not really the case this year. And I think we saw it on Saturday night. Alabama was up 21-10 to when Tua went out with the injury. They end up winning 35-13, to and one of the touchdowns they scored was on a fumble recovery that they returned 100 yards for a touchdown. And so they basically had one offensive touchdown when Tua was out. And so with this specific Alabama team, what's been fascinating to watch is how much they rely on Tua. This is not a vintage Alabama team where they play great defense and they have a great running game. And the quarterback, if the quarterback's good, that's cool. And if the quarterback's not good, that's cool too. That is not this Alabama team. As a matter of fact, like I looked it up and I was kind of shocked by the actual numbers behind this. I could not believe when I looked this up and I saw that Alabama, if you can believe this, so Tua's awesome, right? We all accept that Tua is fantastic. And what I don't think, like I said, people realize is the fact that just how much this team relies on him. And so Alabama in the SEC, they actually rank eighth in rushing yards, which is inconceivable. If you've watched Alabama through the years, they used to be old school, ground and pound, stuff the ball down your throat. We're going to win every game 14-7. And so the fact that they're currently ranked eighth in the SEC in rushing is absolutely insane to me. I mean, look at some of the teams who are ahead of them in rushing in the SEC. Uh, Mississippi State, okay, whatever. Missouri, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Kentucky. Like, they do not run the ball very well, Alabama. And then, this is the crazy part, on defense, they're sixth in the SEC. This is a Bama team that historically has been number one, number two, number five, number seven nationally, and they're sixth just in the SEC, behind Missouri, behind Auburn, behind Florida, behind LSU. And so as I as I kind of peeled back this to a news today, this was my thought. I don't think people realize this. I think he's the Patrick Mahomes of college football. I think he's the Zion Williamson of college football. In this sense, is that the biggest story probably over the last 36 hours to 48 hours when you guys listen to this show in sports has been the injury to Patrick Mahomes on Thursday night and Thursday night football. And I think what people realized when Patrick Mahomes went down was like, oh my God, this Chiefs offense is terrible without Patrick Mahomes. Like, like who cares if you have Travis Kelsey? Who cares if you have Tyreek Hill? Who cares if you have LaShawn McCoy? If you don't have the guy getting him the ball, it doesn't matter. And I think it's the same with Tua. I think we look at the Bama uniform, we look at Nick Saban, and we think, okay, this team runs the ball well, and they play great defense, and Tua is just the latest. No, Tua is the team. And I think beyond the Patrick Mahomes comparison, I'll tell you this, you know what I actually think the great analogy for this is? And there's so many people who love college basketball listen to this show. I think this is very eerily similar to what happened at Duke last year with Zion Williamson, where Duke opens the year... We all know what happened. They beat Kentucky. They beat a bunch of teams. I mean, they they crushed a lot of really good teams early in the season. And they're rolling through the season and Zion Williamson gets hurt. And all of a sudden, Duke completely falls apart. And you realize like, oh my God, this team completely relied on Zion Williamson. And all of a sudden, like, I think Coach K kind of stopped coaching. And I think R.J. Barrett kind of hit cruise control. And I think Cam Reddish kind of hit cruise control. And it became obvious that they were like, way too reliant on Zion and so I think we're going to see the same thing with Alabama here over the next couple weeks is that I think people are going to realize like, like I saw Arkansas as a 35 point favorite and I understand Arkansas is the worst team in the SEC they're actually the only team in the SEC right now that does not have a single SEC win even Mississippi State has a win even uh Vandy just picked up their first win Ar- Arkansas is still winless in the SEC and so I bring that up because people are like, well, it's Arkansas. They're going to kill Bama. It's like, I don't know, man. Bama really has some really big issues uh, that Tua covers up. And so this is going to be the fascinating thing to watch. And, of course, again, this will be the fascinating thing going into three weeks from now against LSU. Because if LSU – I'm telling you guys right now, if you've watched LSU – LSU is the real deal. This isn't like an old school year or a year where, say, like Clemson, right? Like Clemson's just beating up bad teams because they're bad. And no, that's not a shot at Louisville. I had my 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 I had a couple of run-ins with Louisville fans this week because I made fun of that guy that paints his face like a bird. But whatever. N- neither here nor there. But like Clemson's just beating up on bad teams right now. LSU's like beating up on everybody. But some of the teams they're beating up on are really good. LSU has a win at Texas, who's a top ten team. LSU has a win against Florida, who's a top 10 team. And if Tua's not 100% for that game, I think Bama's in real, real, real big trouble. And so I only bring that up because this is going to be the story over the next three weeks. Tua watch is going to be a real thing because I just think we're gonna sit there and we're gonna have to wait and see how good this guy is. Is he at 100%? And then, of course, I think in the bigger picture, I think the fascinating thing becomes, what if he isn't 100%? And what if Alabama loses to LSU? I mean, that to me, and I already tweeted this out, but I think it takes on even more of kind of a, a narrative, uh, is this, is imagine if, let's just say LSU finishes undefeated, Oklahoma wins the Big 12, Ohio State wins the Big 10, and Clemson wins the ACC. Can't we already kind of see the narrative coming? I, I Like, I think we can. I think we're going to see a scenario... Every year we kind of have a debate, like, who's the, la- who's the fourth team in the college football playoff? And last year it was like, should Georgia get in? Well, no, they shouldn't because they're a complete fraud, but that's neither here nor here. should Georgia get in, should Oklahoma get in? Two years ago, if you remember, Alabama didn't win the SEC, should they get in? They got in over Ohio State, which had two losses that year. One year it was Ohio State against Penn State, they were both from the Big Ten. Every year there's a controversy, and I can already see the controversy brewing. Can you imagine if Alabama's only loss this season is to LSU without Tua Tonga-Viola? LSU goes on to win the SEC championship. They would probably get the number one seed overall in the college football playoff. And then I think the debate would be, like, I think it would be Bama with one loss when Tua wasn't playing versus Clemson with assuming they're undefeated, even with one loss. I think if it was one loss, I think it would actually favor Alabama. But Clemson with no good wins on their schedule, because Clemson is going to have no good wins on their schedule. We're going to get into a little bit more of the playoff scenarios in a minute, but I only bring it up because I I can already see it coming. The one loss loser of Bama LSU, especially, by the way, if Bama and and Tua are not 100%, Against Clemson, who hasn't played anybody. That is going to be the narrative. I'm just telling you right now. It is October 20th as I record. It's October 21st as you listen. I'm telling you what's going to happen December 6th. I'm telling you, the narrative going into the playoff is going to be one loss LSU Bama loser versus undefeated Clemson that hasn't played anybody. I'm just telling you right now it's going to happen. So keep an eye on that. And then with Tua, the bigger story, can he get healthy? Because I really think he is the Patrick Mahomes, the Zion Williamson of college football this year, and that I don't think people are going to realize how much that team relies on him until he's not there, and you just look up next week and you're like, oh my God, Bama can't run the ball. Bama doesn't play defense. Now, it might not, it might not affect them against Arkansas, but it will affect them against LSU if Tua isn't back in 100%. By the way, one more quick thought on Tua, because I had this thought it didn't really take off the way I thought, but I did tweet it at Aaron underscore Torres, is this. I find it really interesting. Really interesting. About nine months ago, eight months ago in February, we had a big national debate. Zion Williamson, I don't know if you remember this, call me crazy, It might not. He hurt his knee against uh, North Carolina, his foot blew out of his shoe, And everyone in the media, not everybody, but, like, a lot of people in the media were like, well, he should shut it down. I mean, he's going to be the number one pick. Well, why isn't he playing? Why would he play? Why would he ever come back? It doesn't make sense. And, like, at the time, you guys know how I handled that. I was like, well, these people are idiots. Ignore them. Because I just thought, like, look, you play basketball. Like, if you can play, like, he shouldn't play if he's not healthy enough to play. He's got a bright future ahead of him. But if you're healthy enough to play, like, you play. And so, I bring up Zion because it was a dumb argument, but I will say, where are the same people that were saying that Zion Williamson had to shut things down, why are those same people not saying that Tua should shut things down? Because if you are in that camp, if you do believe that Zion Williamson should shut things down, and I don't remember all the people, uh, Scotty Pippen was one, Jay Williams was one, and like, (sighs) Jay Williams, I, I don't think very highly of his basketball opinions, like I don't think he thinks things through before he says them, Um, but like, where are those guys now? Because literally, first of all, just to be clear, I think it's really dumb, the idea of shutting things down, if you're healthy enough to play, if you're competing for a championship, if you love playing at the college level, you should play, because injuries can happen anywhere, but like, those people that were like, Zion needs to shut it down, well, you realize Tua is literally the exact same situation, right? Like, you realize that we have a situation where the projected number one pick, Probably about 60-65% of the way through the season gets hurt. Kind of a sketchy timetable, nobody really knows. And really, he's done enough where he will be the number one pick if he never plays another down of college football. So if you thought that Zion didn't need to play college basketball, I would hope that, like right now, you'd be you'd be saying the same about Zion about Tua. Of course, nobody is, and I'll tell you why. Because it was a completely dumb argument even when it happened. I mean, even when it happened, it was so stupid. And I think this shows the fact that no one had... Like, the light bulb hasn't gone off. Well, hey, you know, I I spent two weeks yelling and screaming that Zion should never play another minute of college basketball. Like, if you were screaming that, you should be screaming right now that Tua shouldn't be playing college football, but nobody is. And I think it shows two things. Well, three things, really. I think it shows what a dumb narrative it was, how quickly a dumb narrative can spread... And how nobody like really thinks things through anymore, right? Like, this is the part that drives me crazy. Is somebody like Jay Williams just hears, oh, yeah, shut it down. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to jump on that board. Yeah, that's easy to say. And it's like, well, that's kind of a dumb thing to say. It doesn't make sense. If you're healthy enough to play, you should play. If you want to be part of a championship team, you should play. If you're not, By the way, if you're not healthy enough to play, you shouldn't play because there is a lot of money on the line on the back end. But I do just find it so funny. Like, come on, Jay Williams, where are you? Scottie Pippen, where are you? Tua's hurt. He's going to be the number one pick. Why aren't you screaming that he should shut it down? Oh, you're not because it was really dumb to say that last year. And it would be really dumb to say it about Tua now. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought it was an interesting parallel. It's literally the exact same situation. I think it also proves, by the way, that for some reason, people have just, just, just college basketball has just become this punching bag For everybody. And maybe it's because the culture of basketball is different. And maybe it's because, you know, I think at the lower levels of basketball, we know how much money is being kind of moved around for elite prospects. And those elite prospects have to go to college for a year. And of course, the NBA is the more progressive, uh, forward thinking, like woke league and all that stuff. And so maybe that's part of it. By the way, NBA didn't look too sharp being the woke progressive league when they wouldn't come out against democracy in China neither here nor there, but I only bring it up because I find it fascinating that no one, first of all, no one's talking about Tua shutting it down. And then to take it a step further, like the idea hasn't even sprouted because it was so dumb back then, it's so dumb now. We will move on. All right, a couple other quick football notes before we wrap up here. Uh, Michigan, Michigan Michigan-Penn State play on Saturday night. And if you just looked at the box score on Sunday, you'd say, oh, well, Harbaugh lost another one. Torres was right. Torres has been criticizing Harbaugh all season long, criticized him after they barely beat Army, criticized him after they barely beat Iowa, criticized him after they got smoked by Wisconsin. Well, Torres was right. All those guys on TV are right. Michigan isn't very good. But what I'm actually going to do is do the flip side of this. Because I know a lot of you can't sit there for 12 hours on Saturday, every Saturday, and watch college football. I know a lot of you rely on people like me and others to kind of, you know, kind of get you updated on the weekend. And so what I would say about this game is this. If you didn't see this game, this had all the makings of the vintage Harbaugh choke job in the biggest game of the year kind of deal, right? And like that's the narrative with Jim Harbaugh. Coming into this game, I think he was one in 9 against top 10 teams. He is obviously 0 and 5 against Ohio State, lost every big bowl game that he's played in, including last year to Florida. And the narrative is like he can't win big games, and so early. And by the way, it hasn't helped that this year they've switched to this run-pass option offense, this RPO offense. They can't figure it out. They can't move the ball, and they look like a complete disaster. And so, if you watch this game, if you didn't watch this game, you look at the final score, 28-21, twenty-one. You're like, ah, Michigan did it again. I will give Jim Harbaugh and Michigan credit for this, though. They fought like hell. And they were probably the better team over the final three quarters. Now, for people who didn't see the game, it wasn't pretty for Michigan to start. Michigan did fall down 21-0. That is on Jim Harbaugh. I would say, in defense of Jim Harbaugh, by the way, it was kind of BS even when it was happening because Penn State scores to make it 7-0. Michigan is driving. There's an obvious pass interference call on Penn State while Michigan's driving. It doesn't get called. Michigan turns the ball over on downs. Penn State gets the ball back. They score like two plays later. So the point I'm trying to make is that once Michigan got settled, they were actually pretty good. They were down 21-0 on the road against a good Penn State team. And they could have quit. They could have said, we're Michigan. This is what we do. We're reading the press clippings. We're believing what people are saying, that our coach is leaving for the NFL after this year, that we're screwed, that we're in big trouble. And instead they battled and instead they fought, and instead they turned that 21-0 deficit into a 21-14 score, and this is where it gets interesting. 21-14, then Penn State scores again to make it 28-14 early in the fourth quarter. Michigan scores to make it 28-21, and then Michigan gets the ball back. They get a stop on defense. Michigan gets the ball back. They're driving. They drive the length of the field, fourth down, two minutes left, to win the game, or to tie the game, to send it to overtime, quarterback Shea Patterson rolls to his right, he throws it, hits his wide receiver Ronnie Bell right in his hands, and the kid drops it. And the final score was 28-21, and Penn State goes on to win. And so it'd be easy for me to come on this show like I have done two or three times over the course of the season say, well Michigan sucks, well Harbaugh sucks, well Harbaugh's overrated, well it's over for him. But I'm not going to do that because one thing that you guys know about me or you've learned about me if you're new to this show, I try to look at everything. I try to look at every big piece of information that I have available to me. I try not to get caught up in the narrative. I try to look at both sides of a story. And that's one thing you'll always find about me. I don't say what's popular because I try to look at what's both. What, what, what is each side to the story? And the one thing I will say I get that sports are a bottom line business. I get that in sports there is a winner and a loser in every game. And that ultimately coaches and players are judged by wins and losses. I do understand that. But I also think too often when a team wins, we just say, oh, well, they were better and you know they deserve to win. And the team that lost, well, they suck. Fire the coach. And like it's not that easy, right? Like I've, gone, I've used this example a couple times. But look at the Oregon-Auburn game to start the year. Oregon outplayed Auburn for about two and a half quarters. Auburn chucked up a pass with ten seconds to go. If it gets knocked down, Auburn probably loses that game. Oregon's undefeated; they're in the top five right now. But because Oregon lost, oh, the Pac-12 sucks and they can't do anything right and they're garbage and they're... Tra- it's like no, they're a really good team. Auburn was one play better that night, but let's not discredit Oregon because the result didn't work out their way, and let's not give Auburn too much credit because the result didn't work out their way. So. When I look at this Michigan thing, I think it's really interesting, because they were down 21 nothing, they cut it to 21-14, then they fall down 21-14, and 28-14, and they score a touchdown, and they, they drive again to tie the game with two minutes to go, and the wide receiver drops the pass, and if they, win, if, if they tie that game, they go to overtime, they have all the momentum, they go on the road, they beat a top 10 team, and the whole Harbaugh narrative at least for one day is different. But I will say this is that sometimes in sports, and it goes back to what I was just saying a minute ago. Yes, this is a bottom line wins and losses business, but there can be positives that come out of a win. There can be negative, or there can be po- positives that come out of a loss. There can be negatives that come out of a win. And I'll tell you this everything that I've been critical of Michigan on, I can't be critical of. They were mentally tough when they fell behind. They could have quit, they didn't. The offense actually looked like something of a 21st century offense, putting up, uh, you know, 21 points. They should have had 28, Uh, and they they really were dominant in the second half. They were the significantly better team over the final, I would say, about three quarters. Now, it wasn't a pretty start to the game, like I've said many times, but after they fell down 21-0, they were the better team. You look at offense. By the way, Michigan had 417 yards of total offense. That's almost double what Penn State had. Penn State had 283 yards of total offense. And so I I, I just think that we need to look at the bigger picture. I mean, you say, like, there are positives to take out for Michigan. Now, I will also say this, is that I think what's going to be interesting is if Michigan can actually build some momentum off this. Because it's one thing if you have a close loss, on the road, top 10 team, okay, whatever. But, can you actually make something out of this? Because if you don't know, Michigan plays Notre Dame this coming week. And we are going to find out right away if this Penn State thing means anything. Does it mean anything? Did they actually get better? Are they actually improved? Is the offense actually working? Or was it a one-week aberration? Because that's my big thing. It's one thing to have a good half or a good three quarters almost pull off a top 10 upset on the road. Listen, Illinois beat Wisconsin yesterday. doesn't mean Illinois is this incredible team, just they caught Wisconsin on the right day at the right time. But Michigan now has a real chance to build momentum and to prove people wrong. They play Notre Dame at home this weekend. If they play like they did against Michigan or against Penn State in the final two and a half quarters, they're gonna beat Notre Dame. Now, if they play like they did in the first 15 minutes, or like they did against Wisconsin, they're going to get smoked. And so, to me, this is fascinating. To me, it'll be interesting to see. And this is one of the bigger things going forward. Because let's say Michigan does get the win this weekend. And let's say they do pull off. I don't even know if it'd be an upset because I think they're considered a small favorite. Well, all of a sudden now, they got a manageable schedule down the stretch. They play Maryland, Michigan State, and, and Indiana before they play Ohio State. I don't believe that they will beat Ohio State. But look, if they go 9-3 and, and their only losses are to Ohio State, which might be the best team in the country, to Penn State on the road, and then an early loss to Wisconsin before they figure things out, I actually think there's momentum. I actually think there's a reason why Harbaugh would want to stick around and why the fan base would want him to stick around. But you lose to Notre Dame, all that disappears. So that is going to be one of the things that I talk about on Thursday's show, something to watch out for, because that's going to be the story going into this weekend. Can Michigan actually build momentum off of this game? All right couple other quick notes, and we're going to get to basketball. Can't believe how much I've talked already. Uh, You know, I'm a monster. What can I say? This is what I do. Real quick, I did want to give a shout-out. Lynn Bowden, University of Kentucky. So for people who didn't see the game, and I know a lot of you did, um, Georgia hosted Kentucky this weekend. Like South Carolina, Florida, like a lot of the NFL games on Sunday, the San Francisco 49ers at the Washington Redskins, this thing was played in a freaking monsoon, Okay. Uh, uh, Georgia did not run a play in their in Kentucky territory, which means they didn't get the ball past the 50-yard line until the third quarter. Kentucky didn't have any passing yardage until late in the fourth quarter because the bottom line was the playing conditions were just terrible, terrible. And if you think I'm going to crush Georgia, this isn't where I'm going to crush Georgia. Listen, I, I think Georgia's still a fraud. I think they're at best the third best team in the SEC behind a healthy Alabama and LSU. I think Florida actually might be better. Um, but I'm not going to crush Georgia. Like, they won the game. I thought they actually showed a little bit of toughness late. They, they forced a couple turnovers. Uh, they capitalized. And I think playing a game like this... In lousy conditions, I think that can be the turning point of a season. When you come in, listen. I played football. When you come into that locker room and, and, and uh, you know, those wet pads, and you're drenched head to toe, but you just won that game. That can be a turning point in the season. So we will see on that. But as it pertains to Kentucky, I just want to give a quick shout out to their quarterback, Lynn Bowden, or Lynn Bowden. And I use the, I use air quotes when I talk about quarterback. Because he's not a quarterback. He's actually a wide receiver who has been forced to be the Kentucky quarterback because their lead, their top two quarterbacks, Terry Wilson and um, Sawyer Smith, have both been knocked out with injuries. Terry Wilson's out for the season. Sawyer Smith, I think everyone's still trying to figure out exactly what's wrong with him. But Lynn Bowden has basically been asked to be a quarterback quarterback he played quarterback in high school, but he's basically been asked to go from wide receiver to quarterback. He led Kentucky to a victory over Arkansas last week, which was kind of incredible. But then this game, right? So this is a guy, he's listed at six foot one, 199 pounds. I don't know if I believe that, but I bring it up because I was watching this game. And I was so impressed by this kid, and I think he's a freaking warrior. First of all, this is a kid with real NFL draft potential. He could tell his coaches, like, screw it. I'm not playing quarterback. I'm playing wide receiver. I'm going to go run some routes and get ready for the NFL. Instead, what he's done is he has taken the ball as the starting quarterback, and what was incredible to watch on Saturday was that it was so clear that Kentucky's entire game plan was We're going to run the ball, we're going to keep the ball away from Georgia, we're going to chew as much clock as we possibly can, and we're going to hope and pray that we can somehow just get in position to kick a field goal, we're going to try to win this game 3-0, or 6-3, or 9-7, or something super low scoring. And I bring up Lynn Bowden because I was so impressed with this kid. Kid is a wide receiver, lining up under center, lining up in the, you know, not under center, but you know what I mean, he's lining up in the shotgun. And he's getting the ball, and everybody in the stadium, every person on TV knows that they're not even going to attempt to let him throw the ball. And if you watch the game, it was very clear they weren't going to attempt to let him throw the ball. He ended up throwing 15 passes for 17 yards, by the way, 15 passes, but you could tell most of them were on third and long when Georgia kind of figured out, okay, whatever, But this kid lining up in the pocket, he knows he's just going to get walloped every single time he carries the ball. And it's not as though Georgia, say what you want about Georgia, they got some dudes on the defensive side of the ball. And so this kid, every single play, he's just lining up and running full speed ahead, knowing that the other team with NFL guys all over the field knows that he is going to be running the ball. He took a ton of hits. Kentucky lost the game, but I just give that kid so much credit because... I really do think that it was just one of those deals where the kid just showed a ton, a ton, a ton of toughness. All right, so I'm going to wrap up with this. I I don't think there's a ton else to talk with football. Now, look, I know Wisconsin lost. I know I haven't talked about it. But the bottom line is, like, let's remember, Wisconsin, like uh, Florida a couple weeks ago, like Georgia last week, the season is still ahead for Wisconsin, right? Like, they lose this awful game. They're a 30-point favorite to Illinois. They lose this terrible game. But make no mistake, Wisconsin's whole season's in front of them. They play Ohio State this weekend. You beat Ohio State, you're right back in the mix. By the way, you beat Ohio State, you're going to be in position to go to the Big Ten Championship game and potentially play Ohio State again to go to the college football playoff. So Wisconsin, like, it's a weird game. Like You want to talk about it, but you don't because it's a big upset. But it's also just like, dude, if they just win the games that they're supposed to, they'll be fine. So I'm going to skip Wisconsin. I'm going to skip Texas, which barely survived against Les Miles' team. But I am going to talk very quickly about this. What I'm going to do actually is this. So like I said off the top, I think we're starting to get to the time of the year where we actually have like real data to go off of, right? Like real information, real data, real whatever. And so what I'm going to do is every week, I'm going to start to give you my top four, my playoff four, um, and then just kind of break down like where we are at in the college football playoff race because at the end of the day, like that is kind of a big story and that is kind of the overarching kind of conversation in college football. And keep in mind, this is a week-to-week thing. It will change. For example, Alabama and LSU are going to play in a couple weeks. Penn State and Ohio State are going to play in a couple weeks. And so these, these are fluid. They will move, but here is my top four. Six as of right now, and then I'm going to tell you one team that you need to watch out for. So, my top six number one is LSU. I think you could probably make the case that Ohio State's been better, but LSU just has a bunch of really good wins. They have two top 10 wins. They beat Florida at home, they beat Texas on the road. So, LSU is number one. Ohio State is number two. They are the most complete team in the country. They haven't had a bad night yet. Number three, I will keep Bama here for now. We'll see what they look like without Tua. I mean, next week I might have him at four. Next week I might have him at five. I might have him at six, whatever. Who knows? But right now I'll keep him at three, four. I actually have Oklahoma. They just keep rolling, man. Jalen Hurts just keeps rolling. Uh, He has been unbelievable. I think he was 16 to 17 on Saturday, uh, for all these yards, I think he had another five touchdowns. He's been awesome. Oklahoma playing real defense. Now, listen, I think you talk about a team that nobody's talking about that could win the championship. I do think it's Oklahoma. They steamroll West Virginia. Number five, I don't have Clemson. I actually have Penn State. Listen, you beat Michigan at home. You beat Iowa on the road. Those are two better wins than Clemson is going to have. And I do have Clemson at number six. Now, I'll tell you this. Everybody in college football, and I kind of mentioned this off the top, and we're going to get to basketball in a minute, I promise, is everybody says they love chaos in college football, right? Well, if you love chaos, this is the scenario you want. The scenario, first of all, let's, let's talk about the scenario you don't want, okay? Because right now in the power conferences, there's basically six undefeated teams. Two in the SEC, LSU, and Bama. Two in the Big Ten, Ohio State and Penn State one in the Big 12, which is Oklahoma, and one in the ACC, which is Clemson. What you don't want, if you you like chaos, if you like nice, clean things, you want two plus two equals four, then you want Clemson to win out. Because you can say whatever you want about how bad Clemson's schedule is. If Clemson finishes undefeated as the reigning national champion, they will get into the playoff. And then it just becomes a matter of who is it. Is it the is it the, uh, it's, it's probably an undefeated SEC champ, either Alabama, LSU, that winner. Whoever wins Ohio State, Penn State's going to have the advantage to go to the Big Ten. Oklahoma in the Big 12 seems to be the prohibitive favorite. And so I bring all this up because if you don't like chaos, then Clemson is the one that you want to win out. If you like a little, if you like a little something, something, you like a little something strong in your drink, you want Clemson to lose because I think Clemson losing is the key that unlocks insanity in college football and in the college football playoff. And what I mean by that is this: if Clemson loses, just look at their schedule. They basically don't play anybody this year. Their best win is against Texas A&M, which already has three losses. The ACC is terrible. Everybody in the ACC except Clemson already has at least one loss, and outside of Clemson, there's only one team, and that's Wake Force, which has. Only one loss. So everybody except for Clemson and Wake Forest of all teams has at least two losses. I think Clemson is looking at a situation where their best wins, realistically, are probably against Texas A&M, are probably against South Carolina, teams like that, which are middle of the pack SEC teams. You want Clemson to lose a game because that opens that's the key to everything, like I was just saying a second ago. Clemson loses a game. Now all of a sudden, think about all the options. You, of course, can have Clemson in as a one-loss ACC champ. You could have potentially two Big Ten teams. So say Ohio State wins out, they beat everybody. The only team that they don't, or, uh, and that includes Penn State. Penn State finishes 11-1. Their only loss is to Ohio State. Makes Penn State an interesting team for a college football playoff discussion, and I don't think there's any debate that Penn State would have a better resume than a one-loss Clemson team. It opens up the door, as I mentioned earlier, for a one-loss SEC team. So Alabama loses to LSU without Tua. Now all of a sudden, you're talking about LSU or Alabama, Alabama getting in over Clemson as the second SEC team. And I'd also say this, Clemson losing is the key to the Pac-12 getting back. Oh, Remember the Pac-12? Remember those schools that play on the West Coast? Remember those guys? And how everybody gave up on the entire Pac-12 the second the season started because Oregon lost to Auburn in Atlanta, in or I think it was actually Dallas, what was basically an Auburn home game? Well, don't look now. That Oregon team is actually pretty good. That Oregon team just went on the road. They won at Washington. They're currently sitting at 6-1 and one overall. They got some nice wins. They beat Cal, who was ranked in the top 25. They beat Washington, who I just mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, is a really good team. They play Washington State this weekend. They play at USC. They're going to have a better resume than Clemson if both teams finish with one loss. Now the question would become with Oregon specifically. You lost to Auburn. And if LSU and Alabama are both, uh, you know, if one of them wins the SEC and one of them finishes with one loss, that would mean that they both beat Auburn. And so it would be hard to justify putting Oregon in if they lost to Auburn when LSU and Alabama both beat them. I'm just saying, though, I'm just saying they are not out of the playoff mix. I think Oregon is very much a threat. By the way, credit to them. They're playing really good defense. They're they're playing uh, sound football. And I, I'm just saying, I don't think they're done yet. In theory, by the way, in the Pac-12, Utah also 6-1 uh, overall. They're still in the mix, but I don't think they're really in the mix. But I'm telling you, if you want chaos, Clemson is the key to it all. They lose one game. It opens up the very realistic scenario that you could get two SEC teams, two Big Ten teams, or the Pac-12. All right, I do want to switch to a little basketball before we switch up, uh, or before we wrap up today's show. A lot, frankly, kind of happened since since we last spoke. and I spent a big chunk of last show talking about Devin Askew, five-star point guard from Southern California, probably about two hours from where I live uh, in Los Angeles, and he was set to commit to Kentucky in the class of 2021, and he did that. And so I, I'm not going to rehash. If you want to kind of hear just kind of kind of my overall take on Devin Askew, uh, you go back and listen to the last episode. But my big picture takeaway is this: I I would say with almost full certainty, everything that I've heard, everything that's been reported by the recruiting guys, Corey Evans, Evan Daniels, is that Devin Askew will eventually end up in the class of 2020. I think this kind of seals Kentucky potentially having the number one class when you add in Devin Askew, who's going to be a top 15 uh, player in that class with B.J. Boston, with Terrence Clark, and then with two other players. And so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but I do think he ends up in 2020. I do think even though we've seen some reports to the contrary – now, this probably removes Kentucky as a realistic spot for Cade Cunningham, the number two player in America. For people who don't aren't familiar with Cade Cunningham's game, one, you should because I talked about it on the last episode, but two, um, he's a big kid, about 6'6", 6'7", but he's a guard. He's a point guard. He's a guy you can run the offense through. He's kind of a new age player that even at 6'6", 6'7", is a guy who can handle the ball, who can distribute, and he is a phenomenal player, by the way. One thing I will say, guys, and you know this, I don't buy the hype on a lot of these guys. If you listen to this show, never bought the hype on Mo Bamba two years ago. Never bought the hype on Markel Fultz back in the day. Never bought the hype on a couple other guys. I did buy the hype on De'Aaron Fox. I did buy the hype on, I will say, I did buy the hype on Lonzo Ball. I'm not selling my Lonzo Ball stock yet. Uh, but there's a lot of guys I don't buy hype on. Kate Cunningham, I buy the hype. He is the real deal. Uh, I've seen him in a couple All-American kind of camp settings. And even in that setting... He stands out above everybody else, but as most of you know, uh, he is, of course, the younger brother of an Oklahoma State assistant coach, and so all signs point towards him going to Oklahoma State. After his official visit to Kentucky two weeks ago, there was buzz that Kentucky had picked up a lot of ground. Evan Daniels actually reported that Cade Cunningham, uh, or Evan Daniels put in Cade Cunningham as his crystal ball prediction. But I do think now that Devin Askew is official, eventually he's going to change the class to 2020, and I think this changes the mood for Cade Cunningham. But I will say in the bigger picture, I did want to talk about this. And and again, if you want to kind of just know what I think about Devin Askew and how he fits into Kentucky and all that stuff, last episode is the one that you want to listen to. But now that he is at Kentucky, I will say this, is that I do think that he is a guy that is, or excuse me, excuse me, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked here, just got a text, whatever. Okay, let me backtrack. So, I talked about Devin Askew last week. This is what I want to talk about in the bigger picture. I have been really impressed by Kentucky, their recruiting philosophy, and how they have approached this recruiting class. I actually wrote a big story about it on Kentucky Sports Radio. If you want to follow it there, if you want to read it there, you can do so. I, I It published on Friday after Devin Askew committed. But what I'll say is this, is that I think we may look back on Zion Williamson committing to Duke as the as the turning point for Kentucky recruiting. Because Kentucky, um, for people who don't remember, Zion was believed to actually be going to Clemson. And then if he wasn't going to commit to Clemson, it was going to end up being Kentucky. And Duke swooped in out of nowhere to get this kid. And I know, I can tell you behind closed doors, that it drove uh, John Calipari furious. It drove his staff furious. And they realized they got to pick things up. And so I think you really started to see things take shape last year where Kentucky was in the – first of all, they got a bunch of really good kids, Tyrese Maxey, Johnny Juzang, Khalil Whitney. But then they also were finalists for so many guys, and they were so close. And for whatever reason, a lot of other kids picked different schools for different reasons. But, I mean, think about it. James Wiseman. If James Wiseman's high school coach wasn't um, uh, uh, hired at Memphis, James Wiseman would be going to Kentucky right now. Scotty Lewis almost chose Kentucky, ended up going to Florida where he had a longer relationship with that coaching staff. Uh, Jaden McDaniels almost committed to Kentucky but wanted to stay closer to home. Oscar Shrubway, who is at West Virginia now, almost committed to Kentucky, wanted to stay closer to the people that he knew uh, at West Virginia. So Kentucky was already right on the cusp. And then I think this year it just blew up where I think they've done so many things right since that Zion Williamson Fiasco a few years ago, and what I mean by that is this: is I think what they're doing is they're getting out there earlier, they're establishing relationships earlier. They realize that they can't just show up during the middle of a kid's junior year in a Kentucky polo and expect to get in the mix. Now, some kids you can't, but there's a lot of kids that you got to start building that relationship earlier. And so I give them credit because of Terrence Clark, um, you know, who committed a few weeks ago. That relationship was already two years old, and Terrence Clark's only in his sophomore year or only in his junior year of high school. And now he's going to reclassify. Kentucky got in early. Kentucky made the difference. Now he's going to Kentucky. Um, Devin Askew, same deal. Got in early in his junior year when it became clear that Devin Askew was serious about Kentucky. They full speed ahead. By the way, the other thing that I really like about Kentucky—they're starting to back off of kids—is that Jalen Green. And Josh Christopher were believed to be Kentucky leans early in the process. But Kentucky got their guys on the wing, and they just kind of said thanks, but no thanks. It goes back to, by the way, if you remember, Calipari, about two or three weeks ago, he had this big kind of, um, what do you call it, like a, a media availability. And he said, our recruiting philosophy has changed. We no longer want to be a hat on the table. And so what that basically means is, we don't want to be in a kid's final 5 or final 3 if there's really no shot that he's going to pick us. And I think too often in the last couple of years a kid would just kind of have one they would continue to be recruited by Kentucky because it brought them attention, media's calling them, media's trying to reach out to them, all that kind of stuff. But then also it kind of looks cool to have Kentucky with your you know in your final 3, but you look at it like just as an example, like RJ Barrett, he had Kentucky in his final 3. He was never going to Kentucky towards the end there. Um, you know, there are other guys. Marvin Bagley, I think, had Kentucky in his final five. I think his final three was Duke, USC, and UCLA, but he wasn't going to Kentucky, and so I think Calipari said, like, look, we're not going to be a hat on the table. We're going to go after the kids we want. We're going to be super aggressive. If we get them great, we're not going to get every one of them, but we're not just going to be a team that a kid puts the hat on the table when he's not going to pick us, and so what they've done, they've been aggressive. They've gotten the guys that they've wanted. The guys that I've mentioned, they have five top 50 recruits, three top 15 recruits when Devin Askew eventually does recommit. And then on the flip side, they're kind of just saying thanks, but no thanks to kids. And so I mentioned Jalen Green and Josh Christopher a few months ago were considered to be Kentucky Leans. Kentucky fills their spots at the swing position, the 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 the, 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 the swing position, the wing position, whatever you want to call it, swing man, wing, whatever. And they just said, guys, like, We're done. Like we appreciate your time, but we don't want to be disrespectful. We are no longer recruiting you. Your scholarship is no longer available. Please take us off your final list. So Jalen Green, as I discussed with Gary Parrish a few days ago, down to Oregon and Memphis and maybe USC or maybe UCLA. Um, Josh Christopher, he's going to go wherever. Kentucky's like we don't want to do with this. So I just give them so much credit. Because I think that they have really refined their recruiting approach. I think they've done a really good job of getting in early with kids, identifying kids early, and deciding who's serious about us and who's not, and putting their resources towards those kids. And now you look at it, they got five kids committed already, and it's not even Halloween. Which means that by the end of the fall signing period, their class is basically going to be done. And then if somebody blows up like Tyler Hero did last year or Shea Gilgis-Alexander the year before, they can go out and fill a hole later, maybe get another big man later if they want to, but they don't have to reach in recruiting or they're not scrambling at the last minute. So I just give them a ton of credit. That was kind of the bigger overarching takeaway with Devin Askew and everything that happened there. I did want to hit on two other topics. By the way, I should mention One of the kids that Kentucky backed off on, Isaiah Todd, actually committed to Michigan over the course of the week. I'll be honest with you, I've seen Isaiah Todd a ton. Credit to Michigan because Jawan Howard, I think Jawan Howard's really kind of changed the way that Michigan is going to recruit. Uh, John Beeline very much recruited guys that fit his system, fit what he wanted to do. He wasn't a guy that chased star ranking. He wasn't, to, to to use a kid's term, he wasn't a guy that chased clout. He doesn't care about clout. He cared about getting kids that fit his system. Uh, but Jawan Howard wants kind of superstar players. Jawan Howard wants to bring back that Fab Five era of flash and of glamour and of you know the spotlight on Michigan. And so they get Isaiah Todd. I'll say this, and I'm not criticizing him, I, but I told you a minute ago, I don't hype up a kid that I don't believe is a difference maker. And I never bought Isaiah Todd. And I know for a long time, Kentucky was in very good shape with him. North Carolina was in very good shape with him. Um, And he was getting a lot of buzz. Like I said, you know, all the great recruiting writers that cover Kentucky, that cover North Carolina were calling him. I know my buddy Jack Pilgrim liked him. I've never been sold on Isaiah Todd. I don't think he's a winning basketball player. I think he's probably the most skilled big man in this class. But I've watched him enough to know, like, He kind of just coasts. He's kind of got a lousy attitude. Like, he is a guy that I'll be blunt. I wouldn't recruit. And I'm not criticizing him. I'm just saying, like, he's not my kind of guy. Like, um, you know, I've seen him take plays off, and I've seen him have good nights and bad nights. I've seen him play great, by the way, where you just say, oh, my goodness, this kid's incredible. But I've also seen him have bad nights, too. So he's going to uh, Michigan. I give Michigan credit because I think he's the kind of guy that they wanted, they got. Now they can start building their recruiting class but I don't think the programs that didn't get that kid are going to miss him. All right, two other quick notes. One, I want to give John Calipari another shout-out because he crushed Coach K the other day at SEC Media Day. So um, I didn't even see this story until like two or three days later, but it was fascinating to me. I thought it was really funny, so I want to hit on it really quick. But um, I guess Mike Krzyzewski, I don't even know the full backstory. But I guess Mike Krzyzewski kind of just said, like, yeah, down the road, the NBA is probably going to expand its draft by a couple rounds. Now, you guys know where I stand on all this. I stand where Coach John Calipari stands, is that, listen, you know, I think that we have a pretty good system now. If they could come up with a system where somebody decided, okay, these are the three or five or ten players that can actually make the leap to the NBA out of high school, I I would have no problem with them changing the rules for that to happen. What I don't think the NBA should do, and what I do think is already a concern behind closed doors with the NBA, is that if they do remove the age restriction, if they do remove the one and done, there's going to be a flood of kids. There's going to be, and I've said this from day one, I think there's going to be 30, 40, 50, 60 kids a year declaring for the NBA draft out of high school. and That sounds insane because there's only two rounds, but listen. We just had a year where 200 underclassmen declared for the draft. 88 underclassmen stayed in the draft, uh, even though there's only 60 spots. And so I think if you open up the floodgates, if you allow high school players to enter the NBA or enter professional ranks out of high school, you're going to have a lot of kids who enter out of high school. And I don't think that's good. And so you guys know where I stand on this, but apparently Coach K came out and said, that he thinks that they're going to expand the NBA draft, which of course would just mean that they're going to expand the NBA draft so that they can fill the G League, the NBA minor league, with kids coming out of high school. And again, I'm not in favor of that because by the way, everyone says, oh, go to the baseball model. It's like, baseball model kind of sucks. Like, I don't know how closely you guys follow baseball, but I'm going to tell you, I worked in the minor leagues in baseball and there's nothing sadder. I mean, I remember seeing kids 18, 19, 20 years old, knowing that this was it, knowing that they had put everything in to baseball and they're barely past single A. They're struggling at single A. They don't have an education. They barely graduated high school. And now they got to go back to whatever hometown they're in and work, you know, whatever they do. And I don't want to say whatever, but like, they don't have any college to fall back on. Nothing. And so I don't think baseball is the answer. I don't think baseball is this incredible um, you know, utopia where kids get to go pro. Yeah, but a lot of kids don't make it. And there's a lot of kids with a high school education that never went to college. And I think it it, it sucks. And, and you feel bad for those kids. And so I don't think it benefits the NBA to expand the draft, which would expand the G League, and John Calipari agrees. And so I bring this up because this week at SEC Media Day, I mean, he just crushed Coach K. This is what he said. He said, if anybody supports more rounds in the draft, those more rounds are to get kids to go to the G League. You do not care about college basketball or you're trying to ruin college basketball. He then added, and this is the point that I just made, after two years, if kids don't perform, then what? The NBA is going to take care of them and hire them? No. It's entertainment. You're done. And he continued, he said, if they're not going to the NBA, if we're really about young people, we should encourage them to go to college. And the reason is their way out is through education. Their way out is through the American dream, which is education. And so this is my only point. I agree with him 100%. I don't think it's good for the sport of basketball, not just in college. By the way, I know I'm a college basketball guy, but it's not just college. I don't think that it's good for the sport of basketball to have 60 kids out of high school every year going to the minor leagues. Because it's what Calipari just said. What happens after 2 years when it's clear that they're not good enough? Now you got a bunch of 20-year-olds with zero education to fall back on, zero place to go, zero earning opportunity in basketball. And this is the part that I think that a lot of young kids don't understand. Everybody says they understand the NBA is a business. I don't think most of them do though. I don't think most of them understand that you can, by the way, you you can be drafted by a coach that loves you or by a GM that loves you, and guess what? A month later, that GM can get fired, and the new GM and the new coach, they don't really see where you fit in, and they don't really like you, and they're going to trade you, and all of a sudden, you're in year four, and you've played for three different organizations, and you got nowhere to go. At least now, when most kids, and there's the exception, there's the RJ Hamptons, there's the kids that don't even attempt to go to college, but at least now if you do crash and burn and you don't make it three, four, five years down the road, you can come back to college. And Calipari's talked about it. He's like, you know, look, we've had seven, eight guys come back to continue to work on their degrees. And so I I love Calipari speaking out about it. I love this. And I do agree with him. It's not good for basketball. It's not good for the NBA. It's not good for the G League. It's not good for anybody to allow kids to go straight out of high school. We have such a, and this makes no sense to me, we have such a good option at the college level, and I don't understand why we've just decided that college basketball is terrible. Like, if you're good enough, go for a year and then leave. Zion Williamson was good enough, and he left for he left after a year. Tyler Hero was good enough, and he left after a year. P.J. Washington was good enough, he left after two years. Like, if you're good enough, go. But let's not rush the process. Let's not have all these kids... Um, you know, go into the minor leagues and having nowhere to go if you crash and burn. All right, last little thing, and I'm going really long now. I'm really tired. I got to stop. I'm, uh, you know, whatever. But I tweeted this out, and it got a little bit of traction. So let's just get into it. Biggest game opening night is going to inevitably be uh, Michigan State-Kentucky at the Champions Classic. Why? Because it's probably going to be either one versus two or one versus three in the preseason, maybe one versus four. But I think we all agree that Michigan State is probably the best team in college football coming into the season, or at least we thought they were, because I tweeted this out, and this is kind of crazy, but over the weekend, all these teams behind the scenes are playing scrimmages. They're just not public. They're not out there. Some of them are. Like, USC played uh, Villanova this weekend in LA. I wasn't able to go, but that one was public. But Michigan State behind the scenes played Gonzaga, and Gonzaga is not a very good team. And Gonzaga uh, has their issues coming into the year, and they lost a lot of guys, and they beat Michigan State in a preseason exhibition. And so I heard about it, and I texted somebody that I trust, kind of at the you know in the Michigan State orbit, and I said like, what's the deal? Like, is this one of those like is Gonzaga just way better than we thought? And my buddy was like, "No, man. We just didn't play well at all from Michigan State's perspective." And so it's obviously interesting cuz we're talking about potentially the number 1 team in the country. And I would also say it wasn't one of those weird deals where Michigan State like wasn't playing their best players or anything. Like Michigan State like Cassius Winston played. Uh, I'm looking at Jeff Jeff Good uh, Jeff Goodman had some tweets about it. Cassius Winston played, Aaron Henry played, the freshman played, and they just got beat. And so I'll tell you this, what I was told was that Tom Izzo really lit into his guys after this game? Because he knows that they got a long way to go. So I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if if Michigan State is way behind schedule or they caught Gonzaga on a bad day. But what I was told was Gonzaga isn't this juggernaut, be all end all team. It's just that like maybe Michigan State isn't quite as far along as we thought curious to see how it affects opening night. That doesn't mean that I'm guaranteeing a Kentucky victory or anything like that. I'm just saying maybe Kentucky isn't quite as far along, or maybe Michigan State, excuse me, isn't quite as far along as we thought they were. All right, I've gone on for way too long here. I want to thank everybody for listening to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I'm going to wrap up right now. No more. Enough of AT for your Monday, for your Tuesday, for whatever. But thank you for listening. I appreciate it. If you're not subscribed, make sure you subscribe, iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, all that good stuff, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Also, make sure to rate and review. Give us a quick five stars. You can do it on uh, all all the platforms. Give us a quick five stars. Leave us a nice rating. Uh, Leave us a nice review. Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Also, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com aaron torres podcast questions at gmail.com thank you for listening shout out to my man torrent craig and uh we will be back soon